0: in
1: no, no, no.
2: Good morning. Sorry about the technical difficulties. I think we have it running now. Uh, if you'll send stuff either to the Facebook feed or to Andrea directly, as my devices are using or being used to, to video. Uh, if anything happens, we'll try to straighten it out. Okay. Uh, glad you can join us today. Uh, not many announcements, except for uh, we are running a pretty substantial dif- uh, uh, deficit. Thank you. Uh, with our tithes and offerings and I know talking to some of you over the week uh, that you were sending them in by several at a time so uh, just be faithful in your giving. The church still has bills to take care of even though we haven't been collected there and uh, we need to pray for uh, wisdom for our country uh, as they go through this week and also for the Memorial Day weekend uh, as we remember those who have uh, given their lives uh, for maintaining and, and uh, procuring freedom. Let's open our service with prayer and, uh, no, I'm sorry, we have a scripture for meditation first. And that is uh, James 2, uh, 14 through 26, James 2, verses 14 through 26. And let's open our service with prayer. Father, we are thankful for another beautiful day that you've given to us. Every day, Lord, is beautiful because it's a day that you have made, whether we appreciate its beauty or not. But we're thankful this morning for the sunshine and for bringing us through those storms. We pray that you will bless us this morning as we meet to worship. And although we are still separated uh, physically, Lord, we are united in spirit. And I pray, Lord, that you'll send your spirit upon your people to worship. Um, We have a responsibility to worship even by ourselves, Lord. And we pray that you would send your spirit upon us so that we can do this. Um, It's difficult being away from each other. And, uh, Lord, we're hoping and praying that we'll be again together soon. Pray you'll bless our service as it is, though, Lord. Uh, Today, the singing of the songs, the preaching of the word, the reading of the scriptures, uh, all this would be done to the glory of Jesus Christ, um, we ask also, Lord, that we would spend time in reflection this weekend, uh, remembering those who gave their lives for our country. We thank you for raising those people up to do just that—to establish this country, Lord. And we thankful for we're thankful for what you have done in the United States of America. Help us to be thankful people to you, Lord, uh, for the things that you have done. Uh, for you are the eternal planner. And anything that has ever transpired that we consider to be good, whether it's good or not, Lord, is because of your design. So we're thankful for that. And I pray, Lord, you'll be with us this morning. We ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen.
0: Our first hymn this morning is praise to the Lord, the Almighty. to the Lord, who oh, things so wondrously reigneth, shall to second hymn was Starla's pick this morning. Thank you, Starla. It's in the garden.
2: Our scripture reading this morning is Luke 12, verses 13 through 20, uh, 34. 13 through 34. Luke 12, 13 through 34. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. And Jesus replied, Man who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you. And then he said to them, Watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And he told them this parable, The ground of a certain rich man produced a good crop. He thought to himself, What shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, This is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods, and I'll say to myself, you have plenty of good things laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with anyone who stores up things for himself but is not rich towards God. Then Jesus said to his disciples, "Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you ab- or about ah, what you will eat or about your body, what you will wear. Life is more than food and the body more than clothes. Consider the ravens; they do not sow or reap. They have no storeroom or barn, yet God feeds them. And how much more valuable you are than birds, than the birds?" Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to his life? Since you cannot do this very little thing, why do you worry about the rest? Consider how the lilies grow. They do not labor or spin, yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? And do not set your heart on what you will eat or drink. Do not worry about it. For the pagan world runs after all such things. And your father knows that you need them. But seek his kingdom, and these things will be given to you as well. Do not be afraid, little flock, for your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the poor. Provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out a treasure in heaven, that will not be exhausted, where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word.
0: Our next hymn is The King of Love, My Shepherd Is. This one. in love. He is so
1: Our study today is taken from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 12, verses 13 and following. It has to do with this account that Jesus told of the man that was worried about his inheritance and wanted Jesus to be an arbitrator with regard to it. Let's pray. Our Father, we're thankful and appreciative for the Word of God, the written Word of God. You are the living Word of God. We're thankful for you as well. The written Word of God brings before us the histories of your life. We're actually reading a biography of your ministry when you walked upon the earth And because you are the eternal Son of God, the lessons of that history are as relevant for our day as the day in which you taught them. So I pray that you will, by your Spirit, enable us to revisit, yes, but also to learn from the very parables and scriptures which you have recorded for us in the Word of God. And we do thank you for the written Word of God because the Bible has gone through a lot of persecution in years past, book burnings and all of those kind of things, but you have preserved it and here we are today, able to possess an accurate account of the Word of God as it was inspired so many years ago. So we come, and we read, and we study, and we hear preaching and teaching on the Word of God, and we're so thankful. You have not deserted your people. You have given us the Word by which we are to live, and I pray that you'll help us to indeed apply the truths of your Scriptures to our lives. May this not just simply be an academic, but may it be a heart issue as you touch our hearts with the reality of what we need to do and how we are to live in our sinful world. We are to be the salt and the light of the world so that the onlooking world will see in our lives a pointing, a testimony to the salvation which is found in Jesus Christ alone. In whose name we pray with thanksgiving. Amen. Our text today is from Luke chapter twelve, verse thirteen and following, and it has to do with the parable of the rich man. Or in in my Bible, calls him the rich fool. He had a lot of money, and he had more money than he know, knew what to do do with, and it was all in the base on an agricultural society. So his holdings were in terms of real estate and crops. So when he had a bumper crop, he had a problem. And that's what our account is about today. The first thing we want to note is his reliance on his own skills and abilities. And it's a reminder that we may fall into the same trap. As we read this parable that Jesus told about the rich man, I think it is fair assessment to say of him that he was an astute businessman. He didn't become rich by being stupid. No, he had what we might call business savvy. Business savvy. That is, he could read the markets of the day, analyze his own farm, project his earnings for the year, balance his books at the end of the growing season. And, you know, there are many people like this in the world and quite a number of people like that among the children of God. These are the people whom I say know what to do. They know what to do. They're not exempt from the temptations and the pitfalls and the financial reversals that come to all men. But when these things come, they know what to do. That is, they know how to turn lead into gold. They know how to turn pennies into dollars. They have a mind for figures. And so making money comes to them very easy. You and I worry. (laughs) But they go to work. I think of our president, how he amassed a fortune through his know-how with the business savvy. So while we're fretting about our misfortunes, they are making fortunes on the basis of their know-how. I don't think it's why we covet uh, covet such people. Any skill they possess, any skill they possess in the financial world is given by God just as your skills are given by God. Our jealousy shines through in this. Sometimes we say, well, I wish I had just a little bit of their financial expertise. Well, maybe, but again, maybe not. Uh, Not if we fall into the same snare this rich man fell into that's in our text. Jesus said of this farmer, let me read it for you, the ground of a certain rich man, see, he's already rich, the ground of a certain rich man produced a good crop. He thought to himself, What shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Verse 16 and 17. So you see his problem. His farm produced what we would call a bumper crop. Uh, The Greek term here is very interesting. It's a compound word, meaning good or plentiful. And the second part of the compound is to bear continually. So... To bear continually good. To bear continually plentiful. Wow. You know, sometimes in the paper I will see in the classifieds a farmer selling hay, and it will say something like the second cutting or the third cutting. Well, in Michigan's short growing season, who gets three cuttings from the same hay field in one season? If that's possible, you're having a very good year the rain the sun the soil the nutrients just have to be right on to produce this kind of continual crop well the farmer in jesus count experienced this it's like yeah we would say he had a green thumb he couldn't do anything wrong agriculturally he just had a bumper crop so he had a problem he did have a problem Let me read it for you. He says, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Well, there's a dilemma. He's got so many crops that he has no warehouses sufficient for storage. We think to ourselves, (laughs) I should have such a problem. (laughs) I should have such a problem. Our envy is showing through when we talk like that perhaps some substitute for faith that this farmer exhibited. Now remember, Jesus is describing a businessman with know-how. He is not inexperienced in agricultural matters. He understands how the market works. He knows that as a farmer he may not experience another bumper crop for many years, but he also knows that his crop will keep if he can store it properly out of the weather. He also knows that if everyone is having a bumper crop that year, the price for his produce will likely go down. It's this whole business of too much supply, too little demand. So if he just can hang on to his crop by storing it, he can weather the glut in the market and make a killing financially when hard times return. The world would applaud this farmer as an astute businessman for his solution. What's his solution? Verse 18 and 19. This is what I'll do, he says. I will tear down my barns, build bigger ones, and then I will store all my grain and my goods. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of good things laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink, be merry. We read that and we ask, well, what's wrong with this? What's wrong with this? Are we not supposed to think of the future? Are we not to look at life in stages and realize that, humanly speaking, we're not going to be able to work and support ourselves forever? Should we spend everything we make forget about tomorrow? Isn't there a biblical warrant for having what the world calls a nest egg for those retirement years? Well, the answer to these questions is yes, yes, yes. We do have biblical warrant for preparing economically for the future. For example, Solomon wrote, and I'm quoting from his writing in Proverbs, says, go to the ant, you sluggard, consider its ways and be wise. It has no commander, no overseer, no ruler, yet it stores its provisions in summer and gathers its food at harvest, Proverbs 6, verse 6 through 8. If you look at the context, Solomon is telling lazy people to learn from the ant. To store a provision in the summer seasons of life. In other words, while you can work. While you have a good health to do that. Because winter is coming. And in the case of the ant, the ant's going to go into hibernation. So you can't store food or glean food in snow and ice. Solomon took his own counsel, by the way. Let me read it for you. Solomon rebuilt Gezer, destroyed by the Egypt, by Egypt, as well as all his store cities. I'm reading scripture. All his store cities and the towns for which his chariots and for his horses whatever he desired to build in Jerusalem and Lebanon and throughout all the territory that he ruled. First kings 9 verse 17 and following. He had store cities. We would probably say it this way, places of storage, buildings, silos placed throughout his kingdom wherein he stored crop. You remember Jesus said, work well it is today, for the night is coming when no man can work. So this whole idea is even advocated by our Lord. Or who would say that Joseph's faith was flawed when he told Pharaoh, here it is, let me read it for you, let Pharaoh appoint commissioners over the land to take a fifth of the harvest of Egypt during the seven years of abundance. They should collect all the food of these good years that are coming and store up the grain under the authority of Pharaoh to be kept in the cities for food. This food should be held in reserve for the country to be used during the seven years of famine that will come upon Egypt so that the country may not be ruined by the famine. Genesis 41, verse 34 and following. And you know, Pharaoh took Joseph's advice. And the granaries of Egypt fed not only the Egyptians in time of famine, but the surrounding nations, including Yes, the people of God. Remember that Joseph, uh, Jacob and his family went down to Egypt to gain food from the Egyptian granaries. Or we have in the New Testament, Paul told Titus, his
0: co-worker,
1: our people must learn to devote themselves to doing what is good in order that they may provide for daily necessities and not live, not live unproductive lives. Titus 3, verse 14. Or to Timothy, if anyone does not provide for his relatives and especially for his immediate family, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. 1 Timothy 5, verse 8. Now provision, as you know, means that you have to plan ahead and store up so that you can tap into those reserves when the time comes. The preserves. Our ladies are canning things from the summer, strawberry jam, beans and other vegetables from the garden. They put them in glass or frozen containers and they call them preserves. They are the preserves. What do they preserve for? For the winter months that are coming. Now, in addition to these scriptures, which speak to the issue of saving or providing for the future, we have a whole host of other scriptures that forbid us to be lazy and which encourage us to work. We began this whole series with the account of the master who distributed talents or money, skills to his servants. And then they went away, believing that it was reasonable that those servants put his money in the bank to earn interest, to accumulate, to grow wealth, so that when he returned, he would have a profit. Well, the man who did not do this was called wicked and lazy, and he was cast out. Paul puts it this way, For even when we were with you, we gave you this rule, if a man will not work, he shall not eat. We hear, I'm still reading Paul, we hear that some among you are idle. They are not busy. They are busy bodies. Such people we command and urge in the Lord Jesus Christ to settle down and earn the bread they eat. Second Thessalonians 3, verse 10 and following. Even the covetous were instructed. He who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work doing something useful with his own hands that he may have something to share with those in need. Ephesians 4, verse 28. That's how you defeat the sin of covetousness. You become a giver. You become a person who's generous, willing to give. So all of these scriptures on storing up in the present, for the future, and which encourage a healthy work ethic and condemn laziness, these scriptures teach us that there's nothing wrong with striving to provide that little nest egg for your family. So, what was wrong with the farmer in the parable who planned to build bigger barns and store his crops for future use? Well, we don't have to guess. The condemnation of Jesus tells us what was wrong. Let me read it for you. Verse 20 and 21. But God said to him, You fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with anyone who stores up things for himself but is not rich Towards God. Luke twelve, verse twenty and twenty-one. May I say that the sin of this farmer was not it was not that he wanted to store his bumper crop for future use, but that he trusted in his business acuity and know-how to make life cushy and sweet, so he would not have to rely on anybody or anything for his future needs and So he would have the opulence to live like a king in his old age. He stored, the scripture says, he stored up for himself. Not his family. He believed in being rich in possession, but not rich towards God. He took his life for granted. He believed in his own ability, his own skill to care for himself. He had faith, yeah, but his faith was in himself, not in God was like the person that thinks, I can get this done. I can do this. Just tell me what needs to be done. Or maybe they'll even say, I know what needs to be done. And they don't even have to ask for instruction. Well, Jesus' point was that with God, out of his thinking, he missed the very one who controls the future in those areas that really count. Well, what areas? Well, think about them. Will you live or die? That's something to think about. Will your savings benefit you? Or are they going to go to somebody else? You know, one of Solomon's observed grievances was this. Let me read it for you. These are his own words. Solomon writes, I hated life. (laughs) I hated life. Because the work that is done under the sun was grievous to me. All of it is meaningless, a chasing after the wind. I hated all the things that I had toiled for under the sun because, because, I must leave them to one who comes after me. So his first complaint is, uh and that we should realize this as well. I can't take it with me. I might have a lot in the bank account, or in real estate, or in stock holdings, but I can't take it with me. That's the first reality. All of it is meaningless, chasing after the wind. I hated all the things I had toiled for under the sun because, second point of his problem, I must leave them to the one who comes after me, And who knows whether he will be a wise man or a fool. Yet, he will have control over all the work into which I have poured my effort and my skill under the sun. Oh, oh, this too is meaningless. Ecclesiastes 2, verse 17 through 19. So he had two dilemmas. I can't take it with me. And secondly, uh, I might leave it to a fool who's going to be a spendthrift. And don't know how to manage it. And will lose it all anyway. In the stock market or whatever other silly thing he involves himself in. Now note this in this parable, Luke 12. Jesus told how this parable came about. Verse 13. Someone in the crowd said, Teacher, tell my brother to invite to divide the inheritance with me. Now, doesn't that tell you right there, there <laughs> there's a problem going on in the family. There's an estate problem. This is so common. It's common in Jesus' day. It's common in our own day. Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. He's not being fair. I'm not getting my fair share. And Jesus' answer was that he had not come to be an arbiter in such matters. But he also gave this warning, verse 15. Watch out, said Jesus. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. A man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. You know, this brother needed to learn this. We need to learn it too. The farmer in the parable illustrates what can happen when trust in one's ability to amass possessions precedes trust in God. It puts the emphasis in the wrong place. You ask, well, (laughs) what was this farmer supposed to do with his bumper crop? I mean, let it rot in the fields? Well, the context, verse 32 says, do not be afraid, little flock. This is Jesus speaking. Do not be afraid, little flock, for your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the poor. Oh, well, there's there's something you could do. Provide purses for yourself that will not wear out a treasure in heaven, They will not be exhausted where no thief comes near no moth destroys for where your treasure is there your heart will be also Luke 12 verse 32 and following what is Jesus saying he's saying the farmer could have used his surplus to help those who had little or nothing and then trust his future to God oh boy but that would have required faith right Not in himself and the amount of money he had accumulated, but faith in God. Yeah. Paul says, Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God who richly provides us With everything for our enjoyment, command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. 1 Timothy 6, verse 17 and 18. Well, there's something you could do with the surplus. What? Be generous and willing to share. How are you doing in these areas where faith in God is substituted for faith in one's abilities and skills? Well, I hope we fear better than the wicked whom Job describes saying they spend their years in prosperity and they go down to the grave in peace and yet they say to God leave us alone we have no desire to know your ways who is the almighty that we should serve him what would, he, what would we gain by praying to him but their prosperity is not in their own hands so I stand aloof From the counsel of the wicked, says Solomon. Yet how often is the lamp of the wicked snuffed out? How often does calamity come upon them? The fate God allots in his anger. How often are they like straw before the wind, like shaft swept away by a gale? Job 21, verse 13 and following. Different perspective, isn't it, that Job had? We need to think about. To have your barns full and your portfolio packed and your savings account secure, but not to know God, nor to be forgiven for such greed and misplaced faith, is to be poor indeed. Poor indeed. But of the financially poor, James asked this question. Listen, my dear brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor In the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom that he promised those who love him. James 2, verse 5. The rich in faith but poor in this world's goods are princes in the making. A kingdom awaits them. A kingdom awaits them. They're rich towards God and so should we all be. Paul says, command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. And in this way, they will lay up treasures for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age, so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. 1 Timothy 6, verse 17 and following. Sometimes we substitute our own abilities and skills. Put our faith in them. Secondly, sometimes we substitute faith in human reason. This is a biggie. We need to watch this. Let's be reasonable. That is, often the philosophy of believers as well as the unbelieving world And in the same way, that is to say, we trust our own view of life over God's. There's nothing quite so convincing to us as our own thoughts. The assumption seems to be that because we are believers, because we have the minds informed by a new nature, that our thinking and we think our thinking is always Christian because we are Christian. Well I'm a Christian so my thinking is Christian. Well in the weeks to come I hope to challenge you as well as myself on various topics dealing with life in which human opinion will be opposed by God's declared word. We will all be under the scrutiny then from God to see whether our faith where our where our faith truly lies. Let me say for now that Christians do not automatically think Christianly. If that were so, Paul would not have said to the believers of Rome, Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good is pleasing his perfect will. For by the grace given to me, I say to every one of you do not think of yourselves more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourselves with a sober judgment in accordance with the measure of faith that God has given you. Romans 12, verse 2 and 3. How are they using their minds? How are they using their minds? Good question. Well, he tells us, thinking of themselves more highly than they ought to think. (laughs) And So Paul charges them to develop a new mindset because that kind of thinking, that self-reliant kind of thinking, is to conform to the world's pattern of thinking. The verbs here, by the way, are in the imperative mood, the command mood of the language. So let me read it for you from the Greek. Stop conforming to the patterns of the world. Stop conforming to the patterns of the world. But be transformed in your mind and your thinking. This is, in Greek, a command mode with a negative. Stop. Conforming implies that the action of conforming to the world's thinking was already ongoing. I mean, we have this in English as well. For example, if you tell your children, stop playing with your food and eat your lunch, you are commanding a change in the way they are using their spoon in the bowl of soup. You want them to stop doing swirly cues in the soup and start spooning the broth into their mouths and eat. Well, the Christians at Rome were using their minds, yeah, their thinking powers. But they were using their minds in the same way they had always used them, that is, to solve life's problems without much consideration to faith in God. They were living by their wits because that is what they were used to do. And they had gotten by quite well that way for years. But in so doing, they had not been able to test and approve what God's will was, His good, pleasing, and perfect will. We do not discover and approve God's will through faith in our own reasoning. Thinking Christianly requires faith in God's word over our own opinion. Why? Because God's thoughts are not our thoughts. His ways are not our ways of doing things. The farmer in our text got into trouble at this very point. When he was confronted with the dilemma of a bumper crop, this is what he did. Verse 17 says, He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops." Boy, he's telling on himself. He thought to himself, I have no place to store my crops. But, you know, there were other alternatives. He could have used the barns he had, small as they were, and sold the remaining crops. And use the money and works of benevolence for the needy and in his community. He could have allowed the poor to glean the surplus out of his field. That's spoken of in the Old Testament as a pretty well accepted practice among the Israelites. That would eliminate the need for bigger barns, right? But he didn't think with a view of God's will. Sell your possession and give to the poor, verse 33. He didn't think God's thoughts in verse 23. Life is more than food and the body more than clothes. Instead, his thinking was like the pagan world which runs after all such things, Jesus says, verse 30, and would never think of seeking God's kingdom, verse 31 with the faith that these other things will be given as well, as we're obedient to God, He'll take care of our material needs. You know, God does not expect us to set our brains on idle when it comes to life. But neither does He expect us to trust human reasoning above His declared will in His Word. Here we have from Solomon what God expects trust in the Lord with all of your heart and lean not on your own understanding in all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your paths straight Proverbs 3 verse 5 and 6 Jesus rightly analyzed the people of his day saying he who belongs to God hears what God says And the reason you do not hear is that you do not belong to God. Wow, what an indictment, John 8, verse 47. And this is so basic to Christian living that it hardly needs saying. But, you know, it does need saying now as much as ever because faith in God and listening to his word, his commands, and accepting them as the truth by which we must live is foreign to the so-called Christian thought of our day. I say so-called. There are hundreds of professing Christians who believe they can serve God their way and have God endorse their thinking because they're Christians. We're guilty too. We ask God to bless our decisions without questioning if the decisions were ever of him in the first place. We assume they were because we're his people. But in this scenario, where is our faith really placed? Is it not in our own reasoning and thought processes? The bad answer, and I hear it all the time, is this. Well, you know, I prayed about this and I believe God is leading me to, whatever, I prayed about this and I believe God is leading me to marry an unbeliever because he's a kind man. I prayed about this and I believe I'm on solid ground to enter into a business partnership with a man of the world because he's good with figures. I prayed about this and I'm, I, I, I think it's okay if I get a divorce because I and my spouse just, well, we don't see things eye to eye anymore. Well, I prayed about this and I've decided to forego disciplining my unruly child because, well, I don't want to crush their creativity. And on and on we go. I prayed about this and then... I do something that I want to do. Because God doesn't strike me dead, I guess I'm okay with God. We substitute human reason for faith. There's a third error here in that error, and it is this, that we substitute faith in idols idols for the god of the bible much of we have already studied has to do with idolatry think about this the farmer who believed in himself and his own abilities to solve his problem of the bumper crop worshiped himself the person who trusts in his or her own thinking to solve problems reveres his own intellectual prowess But I'm thinking here of our misconceptions of God. Misconceptions which shape God into the person we want Him or expect Him to be. It's the most basic level of idolatry. You know, the Hindu religion has over 5,000 deities. 5,000 deities in the Hindu religion. And guess what? They have a place in there for Jesus Christ too. But the Jesus Christ of the Hindu faith is not the Jesus of the Bible. The Jehovah Witness has a place for Jesus in his worship, but not as God's eternal Son, not as deity. Oh, the Mormons have a Jesus in their faith who is divine, yes, but no more so than they view all believers moving towards divinity. Every one of these things are a distortion of God in whom people place their faith. Form of idolatry. Well, what about us? Are we entitled to shape God as all-loving, as one who would never think of sending anyone to hell because of sin? May we think of God as the great benefactor who wants all of us to be healthy, wealthy, successful? There's a whole religious element in our society that teaches that. Well, okay, then when will your faith be when God does not heal you of your disease? Mm -hmm. Will you reinvent God again? Is it not idolatry to view God as one who does not see us? A God who does not care what we do with our money? that does not concern himself with conforming us to the character of his Son, Jesus, does not expect us to represent the gospel faithfully to the lost. You know, in all these areas and more, we commit idolatry by shaping God in our image and the way we want him to be instead of how he declares himself to be. Our faith means we don't invent God. We don't fashion Him after our own image or our own thoughts. We take Him for what He declares Himself to be in the Holy Scriptures. You know, idolatry was the first sin and it is the last sin. Idolatry. Paul says, although they claimed to be wise, they became fools in exchange the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal men and birds and animals and reptiles, they exchanged the truth of God for a lie, and they worshipped and served created things rather than the Creator, who is forever to be praised. Amen. Romans one verse twenty-two and following. That was the sin of Adam and Eve, as the sin of all men, of all religions, short of Christianity. If this is your sin this morning, then I call upon you to repent and to do it today and to do it now. Your paltry view of God are idols. He is who he declares himself to be, but you've shaped him into an idol who is more agreeable with your sin. We do that. Sinful people do that. Can you not see the self-deception in that? You're trying to make yourself feel good about God and your relationship to Him by bringing God down to your level rather than expecting to be brought up to His. God cannot be yours in peace without the truth. But if you turn away from your self-views, confessing your sin and believing in the Savior who died for such idolatry, then today God will disclose Himself to you And you will come into the light of his presence and wisdom. Jesus says to be rich towards God. That's what we need. And to be rich towards God is wealth unimaginable. Solomon writes, A prudent man sees danger and takes refuge, but the simple keeps going and he suffers for it. Humility, I'm still reading scripture, Humility and the fear of the Lord bring wealth and honor and life. Let me read that phrase again. Humility and the fear of the Lord bring wealth and honor and life. In the paths of the wicked lie thorns and snares, but he who guards his soul stays far away from them. Proverbs 22, verse 3 and 5. So my charge today is to leave the broad road that leads to destruction, step into the narrow footpath that leads to God, that few ever find, and may I say, none will ever find until God finds them, until God finds them and they obey. Today, if you hear his call, come believing, come repenting. And may God be glorified in your salvation today. Let's pray. Thank you, O Lord, for the word of God, and we thank you that you've taught us the parable of this account. What are we putting our money, our energy, our skills in today? If we're just living like anybody in the world does for a bigger bank account, for a nice home, for a vacation to the Bahamas, whatever it is, our our dream boat. But we're not really thinking about our future and our relationship with you and how indeed we can use our funds and our stewardship in a way that blesses you. Then Lord, we're wasting our time, and not only so, but we are we're spending it in frivolous and sinful ways that will net us nothing but judgment. So I pray firstly and foremost that you will forgive us for misplaced loyalties and misapplied stewardship, and secondly that you will set our feet on that path which is righteous that will use what we have in a way that will honor the Lord Jesus Christ and be of service and blessing to those less blessed than we are. May we be willing to share and to emphasize the gospel of kindness and truth and righteousness to our neighbors and friends. Can life be more than just about us? cannot life be about others? For after all, when we die, and the scripture is very clear on this, Solomon says so, we cannot take our things with us. And then he makes the other statement, what well, we leave behind, we might leave it to some fool, and that fool will go swung, squandered in frivolous ways, which would go against our philosophy anyway. And would not bring glory to God. So Lord help us to be wise in our stewardship. And to trust you. What we build on the foundation of the Lord Jesus Christ. Is going to stand. It's going to grow. It's going to mature. But what we waste on ourselves will perish. We do reach out in our thoughts to our family and friends. That are yet lost. Lord, that you might grant them the salvation that's unto life. A faith not in themselves, but a faith in Christ, because they need him above all else. Apart from whom there is no salvation. Peter said, there is no other name given to men among us. No other name in heaven or on earth by which we must be saved. And that name is Jesus, Jesus, meaning the Savior. Bless and honor yourself, we pray. Save whom you will this day. In Jesus' name, amen.
0: Our last hymn this morning is Faith is the Victory. Camped along the hills of light, ye Christian soldiers, rise and press the battle ere the night shall veil the glowing skies. Against the foe in vales below, let all our strength be hurled. Lord, the word of God, we tread the road the saints above with shouts of triumph trod. By faith they like the whirlwind's breath swept on o'er every field. The faith by which they conquered death is still a shining. Let tents of ease be left behind and onward to the fray. Salvation's helmet on each head with truth all grit above. The earth shall tremble neath our tread and echo with our shout. The full white raiment shall begin Before the angels he shall know His name confessed in heaven The onward from the hills of light Our hearts with love
1: Let's close in prayer. Thank you for the truth of that hymn, O Lord. Faith is the victory. Not just faith in itself, but faith in the fact that we have placed our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the King of King and Lord of Lords, the ruler of the universe. That is where our faith is lodged. We look to you, O Lord, to build your kingdom to save whom you will today, to encourage Christians, to heal the sick, to raise us up, to serve you in our community that is lost and in need of the gospel, to be an encouragement to one another, to remember to pray for one another, and to be a friend and be compassionate towards those in need. Thank you, Lord, that you do take care of us. You watch over us as the Father that you are. And you treat us as the children we are. And we do not take that lightly. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Be with our families. Save whom you will this day. In Jesus' name, amen.